I am grateful to be, have been loved and to be loved now and to be able to love because that liberates. Love liberates. It doesn't just hold. That's ego. Love liberates. You have tuned in to Surviving Fundamentalism, a podcast with Richie X, where if your God ain't bigger than your Bible, you most likely mm, probably will have a problem with this shit here. But it's okay. It's okay. Grab you a little wine for the stomach's sake. Tap in. Tune in. Let's have a good time. Hello, everybody. It's me, the Right Reverend Richie X. And this is Surviving Fundamentalism, the podcast where if your God ain't bigger than your Bible, then you most likely, probably, no, you will have a problem with this shit here. Um, it's good to, to be back in your listening ears. I thank you all so much for listening uh for going back and listening to the old shows and you know seeing people actually listening and hopefully enjoying uh these conversations is a, a beautiful experience please tell a friend um you know share this podcast i think there's a lot of important conversations happening uh and not just because it's me i just one of the things that i that i that i mention often is the fact that um many of us do not have people who are doing the work and many of us have had to do the work for our own survival on our own. Many of us have had to research. There just was not people talking about queerness. There weren't spaces where people were talking about being gay or queer or genderqueer or autistic all in one space and how that those intersections affect um, what used to be or what's supposed to be your safe space, which is the institution, uh, the evangelical church, right? And so many of us have found safety and beauty um, in those spaces. And many of us that didn't really belong particularly those of us who are autistic and have these sort of, you know, line by line, line upon line, precept upon precept ideas and thought processes found ourselves, you know, existing in these, you know, very strict religious environments. Um, and we found ourselves finding community and we weren't going to have community 
in the world, not the way that we had community in the church and not the way that we felt that the church in itself uh, shielded us or protected us from that which we didn't understand. You know, church for me offered a lot of rules um, and a lot of safety. There was a lot of things I wasn't going to get involved in. There was a lot of mistakes I wasn't going to make. Um, there was a lot of shit that I wasn't going to do because I was in the church and I was avoiding the world. Um, and I thought that avoiding all of that was safety. But what I have found um, is that I needed to be out here in these streets. <laughs> I needed to be connecting with people. I needed to be authentic. I needed to be building authentic relationships with people like me. I needed brotherhood. I needed sisterhood. You know, I needed to meet they thems. I needed to 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 understand my own queerness. I needed to understand how lying to myself was affecting my mind and my body and the world around me. It was affecting the way I treated people. I needed to understand why I was so different, the ways in which undiagnosed autism was affecting my life and had affected my life and had affected those who had, who had interacted with me. I needed to, to learn more about who I was and hiding out in the church was not ever going to do that for me. It was never going to bring me true peace. It was only going to keep me in a prison while continuously allowing me to be filled with shame for not being able to live up to an impossible idea of who God was in reflection um, and in reflection, who I was supposed to be. Because how can you be your most authentic self in truth, in actuality, in hope, in beauty, and in, in, in love? Um, and, and not be completely true to who you are. How can you create your greatest work? How can you tell your best stories if you cannot tell the truth about who you are and how you walk the earth. Um, and so it's been a beautiful journey. I think that, you know, there's a lot of times with this show, you know, not having direction, you know, I started out one way and then I started shifting and started trying to figure out where I wanted to go next. But the one mission of this show that has been important to me has been allowing people to hear and understand my queerness, to hear and understand my queerness as it relates to the Christian tradition, to hear and understand different ways of thinking, to hear and understand and connect to the uh, to the fact that uh, the white supremacist capitalist male patriarchy is the backing force 
behind the institution that is the evangelical church. And it's and and literally use Donald Trump as a way as a mask to to lock in the Supreme Court and to overturn and enforce all of the religious bullshit that they use as a mask to hide their white supremacist agenda and interest. I wanted to talk about the ways in which uh, black people, the descendants of, uh, of enslaved Africans in this country are still battling a sense of enslavement by way of fundamentalist religion, biblical literalism. And I wanted us to know that we can be free, that we don't have to have shame in our freedom, that we can go to therapy, that we can ask questions, that we can self-diagnose if need be, that we can go to Catholic charities and, and, and ask for free counseling, that we can find institutions within our um, towns that will, uh, uh, will give us somebody to talk to. Um, but so many of us are held down by who we were told and taught that we were supposed to be. And that image is like a, a, a wall of shame in our life. All the things that we were supposed to do versus all the things we find ourselves doing um, often interacts or acts as a, a sense of shamefulness um, that's added on to our childhood trauma, our... Um, it's added on to queerness. It's added on to neurodivergence like depression, anxiety, um, autism, uh, and so many other factors, OCD, um, bipolar disorder. It, that shame is added. Sometimes it's so deep in the corridors of our mind that we even forget. And we say, I'm just living my life. But sometimes we'll still be carrying this element of, of not knowing ourselves and of not knowing the God that we say we worship, the God that we say is our friend, the God that we talk to when nobody else is around. Because if you, are, if you have left the institution, the evangelical church, but you still are holding the image of their God in your mind, you've got some decolonizing and deconstructing to do. You've got to get free. Because you've got, and you've got to ask the question so that you can get free. Stop carrying shame for being who you are. For walking through the planet as you are. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. When you think about what 
see, I don't look at what the Christians have said God is. No more. No more. They don't get to define my God because they lied about him for so long. They lied about him. They were so lost in the sauce of legalism and biblical literalism and downright fucking tomfoolery and white supremacy and misogyny and all the other evil fucking factors where somebody is less than another person. And they were so caught up in that, in all of those things, that they lied to me about who God was. They put many stumbling blocks in my path because I met God at home on the toilet praying for my abuser to die. And that God said, I'll do you one better. I'll free you. And I will give you people who will not only fight for your safety, they will protect you. And your heart will stop beating like it's going to beat out of your chest when your abuser walks in the room. You'll sit in the same room as them and won't blink twice. Your bones won't rattle. You won't be shaken. And you don't have to worry about them hitting you again. Um, I'd rush rather that motherfucker be dead. But, you know, <laughs> that wasn't how it went. Um, but my, my relationship with God began very early. In a very, I don't know who you are, what you do, or what this is about. But I really like you and I think church is cool because the music is nice. And you seem like somebody to talk to. But I don't know who made you. Who made you? And who made you God and why you get to be God? You know, and what I found from that pure space is that the institution corrupted it. With all that they wanted me to believe that God was. And then that they came and they laid the shame on me. They laid the self-hatred on me. They laid sexual shame on me. And before I knew it, I was drowning. You know, I think of when Paul says, the good that I would do. I don't do. But that which I don't want to do, I do. And I, and I think about when he's, you know, I, I think about it when, you know, and, 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 and all of those things just become a, a, a battle. It becomes a battle that never needed to be. Now I'm hating myself to my core. Now I'm, I'm running from an image of a monster. A jealous, insecure, angry, abusive, mentally unwell, narcissist. Who you cannot question. 
who you cannot challenge and looks a lot like the men who made that God in their image. Look at the history of this country. Look at it. Look at it. Deep-rooted. Shame. Evil. Look at it. And look at how evangelical Christianity just birthed clean out of it. And people don't want to know peace. Of course, their God shames them. I'd shame you too if you cut babies out of black women's stomachs. If you cut black women from their front to the back to, 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 to discover uh, the study of gynecology. If you put testicles and penises in, in, in jars and fetuses in jars and pulled their teeth out of their heads for your dentures and used their hair to stuff chairs. I'd be in a constant state of needing to repent too. I'd be shamed and needing to be constantly washed in the blood as well. I'd have a process of salvation that doesn't work too. All this guilt and shame, never nearly enough grace, never peace, never justice, never truth, because they don't really want to be accountable. And a whole lot of them motherfuckers don't really believe in the God they say they believe in. Because I've always wondered how you could kill people or participate in any kind of way. The injustice of, of injuring, harming other people. And go to church and worship God every Sunday. And people say, well, that's just how it was then. You know, slavery wasn't bad then. There's things that ain't bad now but you still look at it and go mm, something about that ain't right harming another person is something that we can look at and say well I don't want to be harmed that way I don't want nobody to make me feel pain in that way I don't want nobody cutting my ass through my motherfucking vagina I wouldn't want somebody to do this to my wife Literally creating doctrines, dehumanizing people so that it would give them the freedom and used imperialist type of, of, of scripture to justify the harm that they cause black and native people. Believing that this God, the God of the Christian the God of the Bible had given them the authority to do what they wanted to do in the world, to inflict whatever misery they wanted to inflict in the world and sit on a slave ship and still write amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see.
sat there on a slave ship, bodies underneath, wrote that. And I'll tell you one more thing, and then I'm going to bring on our special guest. I'll tell you this how I know two things ain't real. <laughs> Karma and hell. Because if they really believed in hell, they'd have started living something years ago. Okay? Now get into that. They'd have started living something centuries ago. They'd start walking out a Christ-like nature centuries ago. They wanted nothing to do with God. They wanted nothing to do with love. They wanted nothing to do with love in motion. They wanted nothing to do with when Jesus said, bring to me the least of these. All of the worst, the derelicts among you, bring to me the least of these and I will dine with them. They wanted nothing to do with that. See, they read over those verses and they decided they wanted nothing to do with it because they didn't believe in the God behind it. They didn't believe that the God was going to hold them accountable for what they were doing. They had no repentance. And many people are still sitting in churches with the descendants of those same people in leadership who are not daring to make the slightest bit of difference in the world, who are denying the least of these, who are denying the strangers that would come to this land for freedom, hope, food, who are watching black people be slain in the streets, who are watching children be slain in the schoolhouse and turn their cheeks to sing what a mighty God we serve. They don't believe it. They don't believe it. There's a scripture that says, for how can evil and good, how do filthy water and, and dirty water come out of the same faucet? How do dirty water and clean water come out of the same, come out of the same well? How do they reside together? How do clean and dirty water reside together? Them motherfuckers don't believe a goddamn thing they singing about. They believe in the goals and the desires of white supremacy, particularly white male supremacy. And their wives are the gatekeepers. And any motherfucking Negro that's spouting that same shit is a fool. You heard it here first. And so... Uh, I love you all. I thank you for listening. Uh, this next segment. This has been an introduction. <laughs> but the next segment uh, that you will hear after these commercials will be a segment with uh, my new friends from the podcast, Reclaiming 
Begard and and we get into a little bit of how you know how that plays into you know discovering uh identity discovering identity maintaining faith um and how that title kind of comes into the picture there but it's called reclaiming the garden um this is uh myself and april and anna um thank you all so much for listening and i'll see you next time dare I say our collective purpose to convert that fear into love and to live out of that place of love for yourself and for others in a culture that teaches individualism and hatred to move in loving empathy is revolutionary in a society that shows so often that it does not love you to love yourself regardless in the words of Alice Walker that is revolutionary and it's one of my greatest hopes that your love be a revolution hello so I have uh, the awesome opportunity to collaborate with uh, Anna and April from Reclaiming the Garden podcast. I mentioned a few weeks ago that I was going to be on their show and I was, and I spoke to you all about it. And so some of you are listeners from that show. And so I just wanted to have them on and have a conversation about our individual journeys, um, you know, towards deconstruction and what does that um, mean for them and just how this work began with them. And so go ahead and introduce yourselves. Uh, you want to go first or should I? Yeah, sure. Uh, I can go first. Uh, hi, my name is Anna and I um, am one half of Reclaiming the Garden as was already implied. Um, I am a queer uh, gender queer, uh, gay, gender queer, Christian human. Um, and I live kind of close to LA. And uh, I guess like kind of what started my own deconstruction journey really was coming out because, you know, when you realize that you are something that the greater evangelical church does not like, um, it causes you to question things. Um, and for a while I was like, no, I can't be both. I can't be both. Um, but I was very fortunate mm -hmm. a couple of years after coming out to find uh, certain deconstruction creators. And from there, I ended up kind of falling down the rabbit hole. And yeah, I, I feel honored that I'm able to, that I've been able like just through this process to meet so many amazing uh, Christians and faith adjacent humans um, who share similar values to me. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about You're, you're also getting your master's in social work. Oh yeah. That's really cool. That should, yes, awesome. That's probably something I should mention. Yeah, I'm getting my master's in social work right now. Um, that 
you can tell my brain is goo because I completely forgot to mention it. And <laughs> uh, my goal is to work with uh, queer youth and people who've been harmed by religious trauma because that's a Venn diagram that should not exist ever, yeah, yeah. Um, especially not now. Yeah, and I definitely want to do a similar thing, but I'm coming at it from the ministry angle. Uh, I, uh, starting in September, I'm going to be, um, oh, I should say, I'm, I'm for little, uh, and I'm going to be getting uh, my, I'm starting my master's in theology and culture community development at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. I am very, very excited. Uh, my classes are really cool. Um, there's common curriculum that like the psychology and theology, theology students take together. Um, so I think it's going to be a really interesting experience. And also I'm taking a class called God, Gender, Sexuality, and it's taught by a queer woman. So I am so yes. fucking excited for that. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I guess in terms of my deconstruction journey, um, I, um, I guess it started with the 2016 election, um, you know, the same night that uh, Donald Trump won the presidency was the same night that uh, one of my cousins passed away from thyroid cancer. And so those two events happening at once and the fact that my, uh, my you know, uh, evangelical roommate also like voted for Trump and she told me, you know, the day after, it was just like a clusterfuck of everything hitting at once and I was like asking God why because I had kind of been taught, you know, that like God puts trials in our life for like a reason for the perfection of our faith that bullshit. And so I, I was thinking to myself like God caused this, you know, and so I was like, why. Um, and of course I eventually would realize that God you know didn't like cause that but um it definitely just led me down this rabbit hole of questions and you know kind of just like the disillusionment that I had with my church just kept getting bigger and bigger and actually my mom became LGBTQ affirming before I did wow. <laughs> yeah so it was this conversation um we had just gone to church that morning and it um, it was the first Sunday of the year and at the church I grew up in, it was always a question and answer service uh, the first Sunday of the year uh, in January. And um, one of the questions was of course, like what does the Bible say about homosexuality? And you know, the pastor gave his usual response citing Leviticus and everything. And then, you know, as that was happening, I saw my mom uh, pick up her Bible and start leafing through it. Uh, and then in the car, she was like, you know, today I was like looking through my Bible when he was talking because, you know, I was looking for the seven deadly sins. We, when someone is struggling with gluttony, we don't sit them down and tell them they need to eat less. And at first I thought when she was saying that, what she meant is that like we treat this sin differently than any of the others. And so I was like, oh yeah, all sin is equal. And then she kind of just was silent for a moment. And then she was like, in the town I grew up in, there was a pastor's son who was gay. Uh, and he knew that from a very young age. And when he came out, his father accepted him. Today, he's married and he and his husband go to church and praise God and love God. And I can't look at that and call it wrong. And that was the, that was a change in her belief. Like before she had said things that were not affirming. And then suddenly she was showing me that she had changed her mind. And so like, and just in that moment, I had this, like, I think spark of the Holy Spirit that was like, okay, if she can change her mind, then you need to like do your research and figure out what you believe about this, you know, because I guess it's not as cut and dry as this church makes it out to be. Um, and yeah, I guess that was the beginning. And from there, I've obviously been able to get involved, uh, especially on social media. And then of course the Q Christian Fellowship Conference where Anna and I met, it was the virtual one in 2021. Um, I think we were just, we were in so many chat rooms together. We were just seeing each other like all over the place. And then like we ended up organizing the ex-evangelical like video chat thing at the conference. Um, 
And then it was like a few months later where we had just like been like in a video chat for several hours with a few other evangelical people. And yeah. so then I was just like, do you want to start a podcast? And you were like, I'm down. <laughs> and yeah, we've been going strong since. So yeah, because like I know for myself, I'd always wanted to like share my views, my deconstruction views and going to the QCF conference for the first time was like mind blowing to just meet so many uh, people who had been through eerily similar experiences to me yes. up until that point, most of my friends weren't, um, Christian or hadn't been, or weren't evangelical, which is totally fine, but it was sometimes hard to be like, man, I really just need to unpack some things about purity culture and having friends yeah. be like, that sounds awful. Wish I could relate <laughs> so I could help you. And I'm like, uh, maybe it's just me. And it wasn't, turns out there's plenty of us <laughs> out there. Um, yeah. And from there, like, I'd always wanted to be able to like talk about those experiences. And I'm so grateful that April had asked about starting a podcast, but like, well, I like would have wanted to start one, but I would have had no idea where to begin or anything like that. So I'm so glad that it has all uh, worked out. Now, now you're hosting like a little session on podcasting at the Q Worship weekend. Yeah. I still need to plan that. <laughs> Help if you need. I, literally, I can also like come in on video if you want me to for that session. That would be amazing. <laughs> Got to work it out. No, yeah. I think um, one of the things you mentioned about having uh, not having friends who understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I went through that most when I was in college and going through that existential crisis Mm -hmm. and battling with losing my faith while being terrified that my faith was all that I had becoming physically sick and trying to tell my friends what I was going through processing all of that and um being like uh yeah I never took church that seriously (laughs) like uh, that that creates an interesting situation where it's like people could try to support you but there isn't anyone who who uh who knows you know who's experienced that and so Go ahead, April. Oh, uh, I always say that, like, yeah, the people who just get me the most are like evangelicals and queer Christians. You know, they're the people I are definitely in my circle of trust more than anyone else because it's just like they get it. You know, I can just be able to like talk about my journey, and it's just really comforting, I guess. And just you know, it's beautiful to find community outside when you thought that like you know leaving your bubble was going to be the end of everything. Yeah. I, the, the the crazy thing is I love that you all found community and found each other, right? Because I have been on a journey alone for many, many years. And so um, often when I was on that journey and you all talked about uh, Christian fellowship when I, in my college, they had a in a varsity Christian fellowship. Oh, this is a different Christian fellowship, I should say, because uh, the Q stands for like, you know, well, queer. I think it technically, well, it doesn't, so it's weird. The website says that it doesn't really stand for anything, but I mean, yeah, I guess. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so, you know, this was the main in a varsity Christian uh, ministry on campus and they got on my nerves. 
I wasn't, I yeah. was never joining that. They got on my nerves. They were so weird mm. and creepy. Mm-hmm. And I met them one time and they remembered my name and I thought that was odd um, to yeah. have strangers calling my name. Well, it's they thought it was a sign of evangelism. You, you know, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I'm like, so. I'm like, first of all, I am the evangelism queen. And second of all, <laughs> you just, you just can't, you can't uh, teach this old dog any new tricks. And so I, I just thought they were strange and I yeah. did make friends with some of them individually. Um, um, to which when I began to challenge, um, on my original deconstruction journey and begin to ask questions, particularly when I started to come out, I found that people that were part of that community felt confused because they were trying to figure out how I could be this thing, but still be this other thing. Yeah. And I find that people in general who are uh, making assessments of my life um, just by way of personal judgment, because that's what humans do. I think I find that many people are confused that I can reconcile uh, the two. And I yeah. think that they, they need for, for me to pick a side because it needs mm-hmm. to be either or, but it is, mm-hmm. honestly, it isn't. It isn't either or, it is all of it. And yeah, I think absolutely. finding this space, and some people have asked me, well, how do you make that coexist? And, you know, and that's what surviving fundamentalism has been about mm-hmm. from the beginning, which was kind of giving you that story. Um, and for me, that journey began with uh, John Shelby Spong, uh, who I spoke about on uh, the podcast I did uh, for God is My Special Interest. And so I talked about how um, biblical literalism, a Gentile heresy by John Shelby Spong, who was a bishop in the Anglican Church, I believe, or Lutheran Church, and um he was just somebody that I saw on a documentary about hell um, and the invention of hell as we know it. And I just Googled him and found out that this man had a shit ton of books. And I was like, whoa. And the one that stood out to me the most, which I think was newer at that time was biblical literalism. And I did a whole series on that in this podcast, oh. kind of giving the notes um, of that journey um, because it was so enlightening for me to redefine who God was. And I think, um, and, and I think what people, people get confused or they do not like the idea of redefining because it, to them, it makes them feel like their God no longer gets to be almighty mm-hmm. and all powerful. So that like you are changing something um but what it really is is you are only changing um I think what so just in a short example when I was when I had that dream and I was friends with my pastor's son that there was an earthquake an earthquake outside and it shook everything but it changed the view outside of the window 
I think that existential crisis, that be, that questioning is the beginning of a quaking, right? And mm-hmm. I think that that when you have a quaking, that there is like um, a renewed vision. The, the, the space does not look the same as it used to. And that in itself allows you to redefine your lens, redefine the lens through which you see um, the God of your understanding, um, the system, uh, Jesus, uh, spirit, life, all of these things. Um, and, and it's beautiful when you can do so without all of the judgment that comes with uh, evangelical, reformed Christianity, whatever the case may be, whatever yeah. wing Because came doubting out is of. dangerous, right? Doubting is, can be spiritually dangerous. <laughs> Absolutely. It, to them, right? Because of yeah. The, yeah. the literalist way in which they view the text. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but one of the things that I love about Jewish scholars is yes. their desire and their um, love for questioning the text. Mm-hmm. And, it's and Midrash, yeah. Oh, mm, uh, what, what was yeah, that? Anna just mentioned uh, Midrash. Oh, it's, it's, yeah. It's kind of like, I, I think describing it this way might be a bit diminutive, but it's kind of like Jewish fan fiction, but like, but like, it's like really, it's like an ancient tradition and like, it's really cool. They kind of like, you know, fill in gaps in the text that like to fill in voices that might not, you know, be heard and um, or to like just explain things that people have questions about. They're like, yeah, they just kind of imagine. And it's really yeah, none of it is like from what again, from what I've read about it, it's like none of it are like hard and fast rules like, oh, this is how you interpret it. It's like, oh, but what if this was the case or what if that was the case? What was this person thinking? And it's like, yeah, like all these theories are just kind of sort of welcome here. Like none are right or neither right nor wrong. I, I haven't read it yet, but something on my list is Womanist Madrash by Will Gow. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I own that book. Oh, That's why when you said it, I was like, I know that I oh, own yeah. that book um, <laughs> because I was looking for some, some feminist uh, mm-hmm. literature mm-hmm. Um, as far as, you know, also redefining the way that we learn to view uh, women mm-hmm. through the text yeah. and the way that we yes. learn to um, view women as well as view queer people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, and I think that once we create new language um, about our God, there's one thing when I when I think about creating new language about our God, there are things that I used to say in worship. Um, and you all know, I, I, I come from a Pentecostal background, but there is, I'm so unworthy, God. I don't know why you loved me, oh God. You know, like all of these expressions of this, this devalued, low self-worth, and this God that essentially needs you to be nothing, to be to grovel, to 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 be lower than 
um, everything essentially in order for your idea of salvation to be uh, true or realistic. Uh, I think of uh, uh, for your righteousness is as filthy rags. Um, and so I think that is, you know, in this way, especially when you're, when you have a literalist interpretation that you are the scum of the earth and you ought to be thankful that this God had mercy on you and saved you from your wild Gentile ways because you deserve nothing but the fiery pits of hell. Jeez. And worship is created out of that. Right. So something that for many I, people, something that I wanted to mention. So I had this interesting experience where um, I, I had left the church I grew up in in 2018, but then <clears throat> in 2019, I felt God calling me. They were like, you need to go to this night of worship at the church you grew up in. And I was like, why? <laughs> why are you calling me to do this? It's like fucking scary. I'm out already. And um, but I, God was just calling me to do it. And so I was like, okay, I'll go. And ultimately, I think the reason why kind of after experiencing it, it was kind of like the nail in the coffin. I was like, I'm not missing anything by like, you know, leaving here. I'm not. And like, I just, something that I really noticed is, you know, in the, in the, like the worship song, so many of them, like the lyrics were just like indulging in self-loathing, honestly, yeah. <laughs> you know, some of the, like the more modern Hillsong stuff and like, um, yeah. and also just the spectacle of some of it, like, you know, um, I noticed that like sometimes the lights would go on the audience and then I would see someone taking marketing shots in the corner uh, with a camera. So, <laughs> it was fine. I know exactly but, the shot yeah. you're just talking about. Yeah, like the person like hands up. Yes. It's such down. a good shot and it goes yeah. right on the website. It's perfect. Oh yeah. <laughs> I used to be the head of multimedia ministry. So oh, wow. yeah. I know that's why I'm like, I know that shot. It's a, it's the but perfect just, shot. Yeah. The whole thing just, just add so... some snot though, and uh, some snot and some tongues for a Pentecostal uh, worship gotcha. shot. But yes, yeah, about the are. same. <laughs> yeah, it just felt so like inauthentic, manufactured, and like it was just not the vibe. You know, it was yeah. like this is not this. The whole the Holy Spirit was was with me, but I didn't feel like the Holy Spirit was like there. You know, mm. so yeah, or like there's the joke of like someone turns the AC up a little bit to get cooler so it's like ooh, like that cold air is like the presence of god or whatever <laughs> can people actually fucking do that yeah it's like i've seen it like as a joke but like i wouldn't oh, okay. be surprised like you know like when you get like the chills like if you're like in worship yeah. you get chills and it's like someone's just like at the ac just like <laughs> switching a dial you know uh, you know what it's essentially it is it is uh the dopamine in mm -hmm. your brain that is being fed and yeah. kind of turned up and the way it spreads particularly the way I've watched it because I've become much more observant in recent years of my church experience I actually wrote a piece the other day um last week about my experience visiting a church a friend I read of that. Mine, yeah. yeah a friend of mine started a startup church a couple months ago and I went to the first service and I liked it it was okay, right? I saw all these old friends, people I knew. You know, I was in their wedding about 15 years ago. So them starting a church. And, and so I was like, okay, I'll go. So then uh, the wife, who I knew longer than the husband, 
the wife says, I'm preaching on Sunday, you should come. I'm like, this is going to be great. I go. And it's just this interesting experience. But I knew for myself, I was like, I can't do another startup church. When you are an evangelist like I was, <laughs> and oftentimes your skill is very useful at startup churches. Essentially, you are like a, a, a local missions person. And so you are brought in, you go to startup churches to grow them. Um, in the United Pentecostal Church, they call them home missions uh, churches. And so you go, which is any church that's under 100 members. And so you go into these smaller churches to essentially to grow them, you know, baptizing people, getting numbers, you know, uh, pushing people through to having these sort of personalized uh, supernatural experiences um, and then beginning the process of discipling them to the point where you can literally maintain a certain number of members. And then once that has happened, you go away. But the thing about a startup church is that they're all learning. Yeah, Most people have not deconstructed they just left the thing that they came out of probably with a bunch of feelings about what they came out of. And now they brought it into this work without properly or fully deconstructing and um, don't are really kind of winging it. And that was the biggest sign for me. I was like, yep, I, I'm not coming back here for a, a long while. Mm -hmm. uh you know I, I i was just like ah they got a lot going on there this is a it's all startup churches are always a recipe for disaster essentially like small businesses yeah um they they can even go really really well or they can uh fall apart and dissolve mm -hmm. and so yeah that was uh that was an interesting experience with uh but I wanted to go into um, a, a little more of, first of all, April, you didn't mention what, how you identify. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm a lesbian. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Me too. No, <laughs> it's, 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 it's funny. I tell my therapist that my therapist is a, a butch lesbian and uh, I love her. And so I, when she, said when she was introducing herself to me I said oh me too I'm your sister girl um and, I, and she said what do you mean by that I said honey if I never had to suck another dick in my life I would be okay do you understand me <laughs> child I get so sick of these motherfuckers I'm telling you they ain't shit on a stick and I mean that every ounce of the way now uh <laughs> but um so both of you are out Mm -hmm. both of you seem to be in very affirming spaces in your yes. uh com you have community and in your walks uh and I, I I one of the things I noticed when you asked me about what like what you asked me you asked me about my personal faith currently so I want to uh ask you a little more about your individual 
faith, if you will, and how that journey continues, one with, with Anna, you being uh, genderqueer mm-hmm. and, um, and so, and, and how, how does your faith tie into that? And how do you, uh, is it, is it the same for you? Is it fresh? Is it new? I think so. I mean, I think I've, I've only really recently started identifying as such in the last couple of months. Um, it was really much more of a pandemic discovery. Mm. Uh, long, long story short, I used to be an actor and a lot of the roles I was in, especially in theater, were very, very femme. And I didn't enjoy it, but it was like, this is my job. Like, I'll put the dress on, put the false lashes on. And then afterwards I can take it off. I'm no longer in costume. But then when I started having to do a couple of things from home, that line started to blur. And I was like, oh shoot, I really don't enjoy this at all. Like it's actually very uncomfortable for me. Um, And so I wasn't sure if it was a a gender dysphoria or like body dysmorphia. I don't know what it was, but it was just like, I can't, I don't enjoy presenting this way anymore. Um, And I think because I had had to for so long, like it was almost like forced quote unquote forced femininity in a way that like once I no longer had to do that for work it was like I'm never doing it again um I'd say like yeah I so it hasn't really affected my faith journey so much because it was like like I already went through the hump of having like come out as gay and, and um be a Christian like I already went through that and then fortunately I think by the time I realized I identified more as genderqueer it was like Oh, like I was already kind of in a very affirming space anyways mm-hmm. and to be I realize this is a massive like, privilege but it doesn't really affect my day-to-day life mm-hmm. um because I still use she pronouns I also am cool with they pronouns like there's no order of preference to either of them and I feel fortunate enough that it's not something I've had to worry about in my day-to-day life but again I realize that I'm able to work with people and be among people who are very affirming or just you know don't care either way um so it hasn't yeah I guess long story short it hasn't really affected the faith journey as much but also I think not even your I'm, queerness hmm? not even your you being a lesbian oh no that or... definitely has like um again <laughs> not, yeah like I guess not so much now um but when I first came out it was really hard to kind of like I didn't realize you could be queer and a Christian like I thought mm. the only queer Christians in the world were like me and Vicky Beeching because like <laughs> she was the only one who like I read an article on her and I was like oh my gosh it's literally just us which is dumb but like <laughs> I was pan- but, like I was panicking so um I like I just didn't know that that was a thing because I always had been taught like you had to pick one um and I didn't most of the people I knew who were some shade of queer had long since left any sort of religion and all the religious people I knew supposedly were straight and cisgender. Um, So it was like, there's no way I can exist in both of these. And that was when I really got nervous. I was like, I don't like, that was when like the depression really kicked, like if it hadn't kicked in already, it really kicked Mm -hmm. in then. Um, And I think the one thing that kept me from going over the proverbial ledge in a way was finding rediscovering uh psalm 139 14 which is i praise you for i'm fearfully and wonderfully made which is a verse i had learned so much as a kid like 
it was one of those like memorization verses and April's wearing a wonderfully made shirt, um, which is how apropos. <laughs> and like, it was a verse I'd memorized as a kid um, all the time. And like, I knew it, but it like hit different in a way. And I was like, oh, like this, I don't know if I believe in divine intervention, especially at that point. Cause I was like, why did God make me gay? But then like, if there was any such thing as divine intervention in that moment, it was probably having that verse reframed for me mm-hmm. in a way. And at that point it was like, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing and I don't know how to justify it. And I didn't even know what deconstruction was at that point, but I was like, mm-hmm. I think God's okay with this. Um, and I can't explain why, but I think God's okay with this. And then from there, I kind of was, it was still hard. And I think it took a couple of years for me to become fully affirming in who I was um, because it's a lot of work maybe like, I think y'all have had this happen too, but it's a lot of work you have to do on your own. Mm -hmm. Like there isn't like, or at the very least when I first came out, it was not readily. We all deserve extra college degrees for the research we've done, damn it. Right, like (laughs) give me, give me that honorary MDiv, damn it. Uh, But yeah, I think it was like, there weren't, there's, at least there weren't like a lot of churches in my area. Like I went to school in Orange County or I went to college in Orange County which for people that aren't from California, it is very, very conservative. This one's like the conservative and like rich white conservative strongholds in Southern California. And that's where like mm. a lot of the mega church, like Saddleback Church is there, Mariners is there, oh. Crystal Cathedral, like all the mega churches are in Orange County um, or a lot of them aren't. And so like there weren't a whole lot of options um, in terms of affirming churches. And when I did find one, which was a UCC, I was like so terrified to be in church spaces at that point. Like mm. it almost didn't matter that it was affirming because just the very notion of going into a church building, like put a pit into my stomach. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. What about you, April? How how has your queerness and any of that, like how does it affect your faith? Is it very similar to Anna's story? Is it different? Um, yeah, I guess a big difference is that like, I, I mean, in high school, I repressed my identity so much that I just like, I, I thought I, w- I convinced myself I was straight. That's basically what happened. Um, and like, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I just repressed it to the point that even like, uh, after experiencing attraction to a girl, my, my, you know, brain would immediately forget that it happened. Um, turns out this is called disassociation and it's a trauma response. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And um, yeah, and I just, it, you know, that kind of thing just kept happening. And then of course that trickled down into the way that I, all of my emotional processing, you know, I've just kind of pushed away any negative emotions, the kind of depression and anxiety that I was dealing with. I just tried to push it down until, you know, like I said, things kind of reached a boiling point in my first semester of college when the 2016 election happened, just a lot of stuff going on. And um, it was then the conversation with my mom, then um, in, um, January 2017, um, Helen's has this thing, or my, my alma mater has this thing called J- January term. And so I, I had just one class and not a lot of work. And so in that time, I kind of just went into research about like, what does the Bible say? I think my first original Google search was like, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Um, and I somehow the, I think it was the website at the time, the Gay Christian Network website came up. Mm-hmm. Um, that's now become Q Christian Fellowship. Uh, they changed their name. Oh, wow. um, and um, the website was uh, the original founder, no longer the current director, is Justin Lee. He had this 
a post on the website called The Great Debate, uh, which showed someone from uh, side A, which you know was Justin, he believes that LGBTQ people can have less same-sex relationships. And then side B, um, have you, are you familiar with that term? I'll, I'll still explain it for the listeners, but um, so side no. B is um, a position of LGBTQ Christians that they believe that um, they, they are, they are queer that God like made them that way, but that it means that they're called celibacy. So it's kind of mm, different from like, like unit, it is kind of, I guess, but it's kind of different from um, side X, you know, which is like people who just believe you can't, you know, be gay and Christian. Um, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so it kind of explained that view. I decided that I wasn't leaning towards side B just because I was like, well, why celibacy isn't a mandate though. You know, Paul talks about it being a gift. Um, uh, but, um, I mean, I would support anyone who actually feels called to celibacy, but, um, yeah, so I read that and I still was like, I don't know, I'm not really sure. Uh, so I just kind of kept doing research and then it was February 14th, 2017 after doing just like a little bit more research. I just went on my bed and I just like prayed. I was like, God, like, I just want to know the truth. Like, I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't really care what anyone thinks of me because of you know, what I believe about this now, I just wanted to know the truth is being gay a sin. And I just really felt this resounding, like in my soul that no, it's not, you know? And um, I guess it was shortly after that prayer that like, I, in the spring, spring semester, I just like literally had these kind of like, you know, visions in my mind's eye of like the crush, the girls I used to have crushes on in high school. And like the moments where I felt attraction to them, it just kind of came like rushing back. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this, <laughs> you know, because I was already going through still like so many things. And so I just kind of kept like tabling it, you know, I knew it was there, but I was just kind of like, I don't, I don't know. And then um, later that summer, I kind of talked to my sister and I was like, I had crushes on girls in high school, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> and then, you know, continued to like process things. And finally it was December, 2017. I had come home from winter break and um, I was hanging out with a few of my closest friends who were not Christians, actually. And so they were talking about crushes they had had that semester. And I realized that I had had a crush on um, a female grad student in my in one of my classes. And so I was like, am I going to tell them? Am I going to tell them? And I did. Um, and at the time, I used the word bisexual because I was still getting over um, compulsory heterosexuality mm-hmm. kind of things, you know, because so I still thought I was into dudes. Um, um, but yeah, it was great to just be able to like say that and then to be able to like, you know, start to affirm myself and my identity. Um, and then, you know, just getting more involved in the LGBTQ Christian community. Um, in 2018, a lot of uh, Kevin Garcia's videos were just like key for me and like learning queer theology and. Mm-hmm. Um, this collective pain, fear, and what I was put on this earth to do was to convert that fear into love. Now this ain't on no, guys, 
now we have to do is love because that's not all we have to do it's hard this is revolutionary self-love radical self-love this is fighting for your rights that is self-love self-love is not a trend it is a radical act of revolution yeah just being able to get involved in places and just i mean i think you know not only has it like got I, my mental health has gotten better and my wholeness as a human being has gotten better but also my creativity you know with this podcast like everything yeah. in the garden it just uh and now I might as well plug this now I guess I'm starting um a sub stack just like you did Richie um <laughs> it's called butterflies in the wilderness um I'll give you the link to be able to post in the show notes um yeah I mean I'm just I kind of have a list of like things that I'm gonna be talking about in it but it's also just kind of like whatever I want you know whatever I want to feel like sharing yeah, probably yeah. next week um which I mean it'll I'm I guess I'll probably have several posts up by the time this podcast comes out but I think I'm going to talk about uh Christian hospitality because honestly it's been what's holding me like since the moment I arrived here in Seattle like I'm staying um in a gay Christian friend's house right now uh because I long story short I had like a week between my flight and my move-in date uh, to my new place and um and then like I have um, a person that I just met at church on Sunday who's going to help me transport a mattress oh. in his minivan. We love to see it. Real <laughs> Christian hospitality. So That's you're going to write a piece about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was just like I'm able to just I mean, I think it's interesting that, you know, I'm able to just go anywhere, walk into an affirming church and immediately meet friends and like people who are just. Well, you know, help I, me if I, I was going to say, you know? like, 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 I love the community that you all have found and continue to, uh, to find. Uh, my own story, I guess, with with as far as faith is concerned, mm-hmm. you know, you all. So I am, you know, autistic level one, and I think, you know, I, what that means for me oftentimes is a lot of things are hard lines in the sand. You know, which explains the extremist, we're the only ones right version of Christianity I ended up in, mm-hmm. right? You know, mm-hmm. so it's like, it's it's a hard line in the sand and this is what it is and this is what God said. And 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 if you're, if you don't have it this way, then you don't have it. Um, you're still a soul to be one. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, that whole idea. And so... I was tussling, you know, for existence, for, 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 for well-being, right? Because I'm surviving a nervous breakdown, but there was one thing that happened during that nervous breakdown when I was 20, 23 years old. Um, it was, I will never be back there again. And that was something for me that was important and that no matter what it was that I was feeling, no matter the fear, I was going to be okay. And that I did not need to rattle myself about the unknown. And one of the, one of, you know, and so when my question of queerness came up, you know, that next fall, um, it was like, okay, <laughs> this is what it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to try to to make that something bigger or to I'm not gonna panic about it. This is what it is, and if this is what I'm feeling and this is what I know to be true, and I felt that in my personal prayer time, 
Um, and so it was important for me to kind of follow that path similar to you and like, I kind of see where this is taking me. Mm -hmm. um, originally, my path led me out of the door. You know, like uh, which is totally valid. So just, yeah, people, we very much support however people seek wholeness, whether that's in the church or not. So. You know, and so many people, you know, have that experience, and so I don't quite have that experience, and I don't quite have your experience. <laughs> you know, I, I am, I, my experience led me out of the door, but it needed to lead me out of the door because I was in the cult. And so mm -hmm. I could not. She just walked out of the door with you, I would say. Like, <laughs> like I couldn't break away. So I needed to, to be angry. I needed to set my, my mind to right, you know, and, and, and then I needed to confront it, which I was something I was able to do. And when I was able to do that, I was clearly able to separate the God that I spent my so many of my waking moments with that was so personal to me i used to say i met god on my bedroom floor mm. the greatest experiences that i've had with the divine has been at home they weren't necessarily in a church experience yeah. um and so those very intimate moments for me and even in talking about my neurodivergence and understanding more of how that even was a part of my life in the church one of the things I remembered is that I used to, even in those loud Pentecostal services, I would go into a corner and kind of create this thing around me where it was just me and that same God that I had become friends with in my bedroom. Even in this service, trying to escape all of the noise, so much to where I almost punched my pastor because he came over trying to lay hands on me. And I was like, oh whoa. Gosh. Get you know, the hell like, away from me. Like, yeah, like, cause I'm here in this moment. And so one of the things that, that life or that I would say that my faith journey did was bring me back around to a clearer picture. To a clearer picture about the fact that who I'd spent my time with was not, who the experience I just left. Mm -hmm. And that those were very different experiences. And one of them is incredibly toxic and evil mm -hmm. and legalistic and, you know, Pharisee. Yeah, I always say fair, you see, sad, you see. All right, so he's all <laughs> of that, all of the things, you know. And then I started to get an understanding of grace from a book by this preacher, this I forget the guy's name. He's an Asian mega church preacher, but he had a book on grace. And I do not like him and I do not <laughs> consider him to be like a great preacher at all. But there was a portion of his book where he explained what the true falling away from grace meant. Because I thought that I, I was disposable to God and that I was, I was trash because I had dared to hate the church question the church, question God and walk away from it and not want anything to do with it. But what I found in this is that to fall away from grace is not to, to live a sinful lifestyle as much as it is to fall away from grace is to fall back into the law. Mm -hmm. 
And that was something to fall back into the law, the legalistic, this sort of way. We see that Paul hates this. We see that Paul says, I withstood Peter to his face. Yeah. Because Peter was telling them folks they had to get their uh, foreskin cut off and they couldn't eat this and they couldn't eat that. And, mm-hmm. and even in Romans 14, we see Paul having a, a uh, conversation with uh, the Roman church about um, not putting a stumbling block in your, in your uh, uh, fellow Christian's path. Because so many people are, are coming along and saying, well, you've got to do this. Because if you're really saved, <laughs> if you really love Jesus, you've got to do this. And if you really love Jesus, then you've got to stop doing that. And you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And, yeah. and, 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 and you lose that which is personal, that personal space. And falling because of my autism, because of chasing that hard line in the sand, because it has to be definite. Because mm-hmm. if I can punch a hole in it, then it's not real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how my brain mm-hmm. thinks. So it's like, if I can punch a hole in it, then it's not real. So going towards the person, regardless of how evil they are, how destructive they are, regardless of how, and I honestly believe that he himself might be autistic, undiagnosed. He's in his 60s. So it's definitely possible, right? And especially because his path is very similar to mine, locking himself in his room for hours and hours and hours, days and days and days, you know, and 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 going into that space and, and coming out with this type of doctrine, this type of, uh, you know, line upon line, piece, precept upon precept kind of idea, a legalistic idea. And so, you know, but, you know, it, took away or blinded me. And I think, I believe Paul talks about the law being blinded at some point. Um, but it, it does, it serves as a, a, the veil. That's what he calls it, I believe in Romans 10. Um, but he talks about that veil and how those, how uh, certain people were blinded. Uh, and so I think that there is so much in that world that we are, you know, in need of escaping when we come out of that thought process. And so even when it isn't, you know, as maybe as harsh as my reality was, but like when you guys talk about redefining, um, uh, you know, redefining your faith essentially and what that was going to mean for you in your queerness and finding community and doing the research that is really sort of uh, recreating Eden. Yeah. Which yeah, brings us full actually, circle back to your podcast. Yes, um, our <laughs> intro, our intro, I kind of forget the exact wording, but yeah, we talk about kind of our mission statement relates to like, you know, reclaiming the goodness and wholeness of Eden, that kind of thing. Um, it's that genuine connection, I think, to to all that is life, mm-hmm. and yeah. it is it is it it that's the core of what I think um, is important, and so yeah, I, I've tried to find community. 
Um, and I have community in different spaces, but I have one community that has the kind of services that I like. <laughs> and I have one community that's a little dry. And so, you know, but that is the safer place for me where I don't have to worry about somebody throwing off on me because I have colorful nails or mm-hmm. or yeah, because I am expressing my queerness. Is, is the drier place the Episcopalian church? <laughs> it's it's the U, U um Unitarian. Oh okay. the Unitarian Universalist Church. Okay. Um and so you know I found great community there in a way, right? I think with all of my intersections um it is just difficult in general right Mm -hmm. um to to find a safe space so whereas I'm safe with my queerness in this space this church has a lot of lapsed Catholics Mm -hmm. so the UU church has a lot of lapsed Catholics middle-aged white people who are undoing their who are doing their own anti-racist work with the UU church. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. But that means that there are people who don't speak to me on Sunday. And that means yeah. that there are people who, uh, and for whatever reason, right? It could be, I've never seen you before. It be, I could be, I don't like strangers. It could be whatever, but that is felt, right? And so mm-hmm. there is that being in a space and being the only person of color mm-hmm. um, in, in the space. Um, and so, yeah, the food is good and the potlucks pre-pandemic kind of ain't going to nobody's potluck now. But, you know, before that, we used to have these like soup things that everybody would bring different types of soup and chilies. And 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 like it was really, really community based and and it was nice, um, you know, but I found that there, you know, I might be and most of the time I'm going to be the only person of color. And, yeah. you know, but then I can go to a black fiery church with the, with the, with the type of worship expression that I enjoy. Cause I like to feel something that can move me. And so um, I can go there, but I run the risk of also not fitting into that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of my queerness and because mm-hmm. of my gender expression and, and, and what does that look like? Um, how long can I sit in your pews? Can I be a part of your church um, and, and still be respected as a whole person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah. not torn apart where we separate, you know, your queerness from who we've always known you to be. And so because I am fully present in all of who I am, you separate my power mm-hmm. from my queerness instead of allowing me to be powerful in all of it, in my queerness, yeah, and, and church, in my fatness, in my blackness, all of it. <laughs> church should yeah. be a space where you can bring your full self. You know, I think that was part of the vision that Jesus wanted for, for the community of believers. Right. So. Absolutely. And then like the argument that always makes me so angry, like is when I'm like, I'm like, I know that like, I'll say, you know, like, Hey, like God loves me is who I am. Like, or like, people get really mad when I say, you know what, I've talked to Jesus about it and uh, he's cool with uh, the whole gay thing. Uh, Try to pull your head off. I know. And then like, (laughs) I'll be like, yeah, like Jesus, like you don't get to judge me. Like Jesus didn't like judge 
people and he's like well he went up to people and said go and sin no more so like that is your cross to bear and I'm like wow you really you really didn't get that metaphor did you like you don't really and they put like, so much on <laughs> on the actual act and this is this is how I always uh eat the Christians up real good <laughs> yeah is um you don't know who I'm fucking and first of all I'm not fucking at all I'm actually celibate that's my choice. I've been celibate for the last year and a half. And before that experience, I was celibate for three years or four years since my last relationship. That's mm-hmm. my choice. It's, it's mm-hmm. not necessarily due to um, uh, purity culture as much yeah. as it's probably due to my autism and my lack of comfort of having strangers in my house. Um, and you know, ain't no strangers coming in my house with this monkeypox shit going around. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. not gonna happen either. 100%. So it looks like I'm gonna be celibate for another year. So before <laughs> I get to experience some, you know, something. Uh, uh, and so it's, but that, you know, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's it's just like they don't know, but the assumption yeah. is mm-hmm. that you are doing these things because well, they hypersexualize are... yeah they hypersexualize yes. us like if someone I is thinking about purity culture yeah like i've just learned if someone is like thinking about purity culture or sex or whatever that much then they're the ones that have a problem with it like yeah. no like nobody thinks about those things that often and doesn't have a problem like does that yeah i hope that makes sense okay too much shame um also, yeah. random thing, but Anna, I realize you're wearing the Bible Deck Energy T-shirt. Show Richie. We have uh, <laughs> What is? It? Oh, it I Deck heard energy. you say that on your show. <laughs> a childish girl and call herself a Bible Dyke. I ain't never heard nothing like that before. But when I listened to the show, I thought the segment was great. Ah, oh, thanks. It was really good, but it did shock me. I guess that's the point of it. Um, one, because you just don't see Bible and Dyke in the same sentence. <laughs> it's, it's, I know my parents will see them. My dad's like, oh, you're wearing the Bible D energy. They sure. won't say the word Dyke. Because they still, they still see it as a slur. So it's uh, like. I mean, and, they're straight too. So they can. Yeah. Like, I'm like, that is not, that's for me to say. Um, like my daughter's a Dyke. Okay. My child yeah. is a Dyke. And uh, yeah. like, what? My mother says, uh. My my son, I mean child, I mean lives an alternative lifestyle. <laughs> I know, like my parents, they really, really try. Like for example, I was catching up with a friend of mine who is non-binary, and my mom went, "Oh, how is they doing?" And I was like, "You did it!" I'm like you can be grammatically correct with it, but you did it. <laughs> It's it's always something, and you mentioned earlier about having she, they pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one thing I just, for me, I, the pronoun conversation is constant, right? Yeah. Not because I'm having it, because I don't care, but um, I do care in the sense that like, if I told you that I prefer they and you are closer to me, I expect you to use that. Term. 100%. And so it's like, but- the thing is, is that to my nephews, I am uncle. Mm-hmm. To my siblings, I am their brother. And some will try. My mother sometimes says, my child, 
my child she loves to say son though she she just loves it so much that it's difficult for me to take it from her not because mm. she sees me as so male but it's it's just so she because she calls my daughter she calls my sister she's daughter she just love son and then my youngest brother is like little son and so she just loves it and so it's like you know I have to kind of take it for what it is but I, and I don't tolerate it from people at work because this is my signature. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tolerate it from people at work. I'm not gonna to tolerate it, you know, from people yeah. that I love. But I get that people are perceiving me because I have a beard, you know, and that's the one thing, honey, I'm not gonna shave this beard. I just <laughs> I mean I just don't like the way it looks. So, yeah, it looks and I'm like, well. I'm gonna have my nails and I'm gonna wear my I wear mixed pieces. So that for me is, is fun, colorful pants and, and shawls and everything. Mm -hmm. um, and I wear it in a way that blends both of me because I do mutually feel like Garnet from uh, <laughs> um, Steven Universe. I don't know if you know that. Yes, show. yes. But I am, that's my experience. Mm -hmm. I am uh, always... I am 50% the baddest bitch and the realest motherfucker in the Ugh. room at all times. And so oh, it's like it. I'm 50% <laughs> each, you know, and that's just who I am I, in all of those things. And so, yes, I'm a bad bitch, but yes, I'm also a real motherfucker. And so I love being all of that and all of who I am. And that to me is, is a beautiful experience that doesn't, that the pronouns don't always sum up. Because yeah, I am absolutely. also, too, a full spirit being having a human experience. 100%. And so that is a different perspective, even, than the, than the, the overall perspective. But, mm -hmm. you know, everybody's not there. And um, I don't like being referred to as he or man too often mm -hmm. and one thing is that sometimes I notice people see the nails or they see the the expensive purses honey and they say and men go out of their way to hyper identify me as male it's almost their way of putting me in my place so it's like uh the guy I ordered breakfast from he goes uh, have a good day man hey mm -hmm. sir how you doing dude Oh it's like God. every masculine pronoun he can choose <laughs> like, I, as to not feel uncomfortable about these nails in mind, child in this purse. That shit don't shouldn't bother you. No. Just say have a good day. Right. Yeah, up? like it's so <laughs> it's so easy to not be an asshole. Like that takes some serious effort to be a jerk like that. It's just yeah. Ugh. But that um, masculinity is tied to all of that. Yeah. But I am so grateful for having you on we are we are we are on a time crunch but i'm so grateful that you guys came on well i do have one thing i kind of wanted to i don't know bring up as briefly as i can um sure. so um you know i guess we briefly maybe met wait did we yeah we did mention we kind of mentioned the god is my special interest newsletter throughout this 
you know, and you you were interviewed by Danielle on uh, the very first podcast episode for Goddess, the Goddess Night Special. Yeah, I did mention really that cool. last and, week as well. Um, so something, you know, that I've been realizing through reading her work and doing, I guess, more research is that I think that I... I am autistic, you know, things are just yeah. really coming together. And like, obviously I really resonate with her experience of being someone, um, you know, a, a woman being raised in fundamentalist religion and having that, like, you know, this kind of interesting, like way that like, I think certain traits of mine were masked and then certain traits of mine were allowed to actually flourish. You know, it yeah. is this interesting mm-hmm. experience. Um, so. Cause yeah. it's really just under, you're really just, especially as most women are never diagnosed until they're mm-hmm. in their thirties uh, or until they have a child that's autistic. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things is that um, you're just floating by. Nobody's ever catching it. Not like, oh, just a little fidgety. That's it. You know, like, but yeah. I've been seeing, I've been seeing you over yeah. here stemming and just a, and just a moving since we've been on it. <laughs> at least about okay, halfway so, through I mean yeah you don't even see but like I I am always doing like this with my nails and um also another thing so you kind of talked about how like we maybe let you talk for too long on our on our show but it's I mean for me it's like I think maybe one of my traits coming through is that like I don't always know when to like when to like step into you know when to I guess in- interrupt you know and then I end up like usually interrupting at the wrong time and so sometimes I just let someone talk you know oh you um, know what I do is you just turn into like Joan Rivers and so you wait for the person to take a like a deep enough breath yeah and then you go you know I was wondering um <laughs> and you just kind of slide in you know it's always like yeah. you know I was thinking and <laughs> you just slide in uh, and I just love that so much. being like a tabloidish journalist <laughs> who doesn't really care about the answers <laughs> but you care about the answer, but you have to kind of, if you ever watch like, again, like I'm a study, I, because of autism, I've like, in, like, just watched so much people, so many people and watch their mannerisms and watch what they do. And one mm-hmm. of the things I notice that uh, Oprah does is she asks really direct questions um and most of the time she's gonna get her answer within the first 30 seconds Mm -hmm. and she does not mind coming right in mid-answer while the person is still going and saying so what do you think about um (laughs) and the person just like okay we're going because she interviewed Adele recently and she's just gonna get those questions she wants those questions she's gonna get them out and so Mm -hmm. you know really just is about I feel like allowing your neurodivergence to run free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Allowing and- it to run free, like, like just, and I was thinking, <laughs> just shoot out. And and it, the thing is, is if a person really wants to get that point across, they're going to keep going mm-hmm. or, and they're going to say, let me finish this, or they'll come back around to it. Mm-hmm. or you can remember and hold a mental note I, I, I write notes but you can write mm-hmm. it down and hold that space because they might want to finish that thought but you have to get your questions out yeah I was, I was listening back I said Jesus I was like I am just talking I mean I for the record that's also yeah. that's not the only interview that kind of went that way I think our interview with Ellie Dote was also definitely mostly Ellie speaking 
Yeah. Also, like the thing is too, is I feel like when we have people on our show who are just amazing storytellers and such amazing speakers, it's like, I don't want to interrupt. Like I want to just keep listening (laughs) because I feel like people but have now, so many I mean, now you got to com- say. another conversation, you know, a more conversation style that you were looking for. So that's cool. That I mean, I mean, yes, it's kind of good I that did. that happened so that we had more time to chat together. And I <laughs> yeah. wanted, to, and I wanted to get Danielle on, and she's like, I'm not doing podcasts at the moment. And wow. I was like, Okay, girl, I'll get to you later. But um, <laughs> uh, I'm so glad that you all came on to this show. Um, Surviving Fundamentalism, the podcast where if your God ain't bigger than your Bible, then you most likely, probably, no, you will have a problem with this shit. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having this moment with me. Yes, and thank you for having us. We're so excited for it, to, for it to go live. So, yeah. I'm excited. It'll be up sooner than you know. So, all right. So long, farewell to you, my friend. Thank you so much for listening to Surviving Fundamentalism with Richie X. This is the podcast where if your God ain't bigger than your Bible, then you most likely gonna have a problem with this shit. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, things you want me to talk about, definitely hit me up on Instagram at instagram.com slash surviving fundamentalism or instagram.com slash richie at it again thanks again for listening be sure to tell a friend tell your mama tell your aunties uh tell some people that's just questioning you know get the people involved run it up run the numbers up okay and i will be back next week Him be